there I am. Good morning. My name is Dennis. I am a pastor here. My main responsibilities are a hospice chaplain. So this is a little different setting than what I'm used to preaching. This morning, actually, let me back up. Jake called me on Thursday and said, Dennis, I need you. I've uh, been kind of busy with Jenny this week, and would you be willing to step in on Sunday? I said, certainly. He said, look it over. I said, well, aren't you, you mentioned last week that there was going to be a new sermon series, anything I can do to help set and prepare the way. He said, oh, don't worry about that, but if you want to, we're talking about new creation. Okay, well, we'll work with that. Then I read the text, and we're going to make it work. If you remember, this is the season of ordinary time. Uh, we're reminded of that because we still have green up on our cross. We have green on our table. Green is that reminder to us of growth. Green is that reminder to us that, you know, all things keep moving. God is working in us. God is working through us to make things new. And if anybody's keeping track, there are 14 more weeks of being in the color green. So we still have quite a ways to go of the season of ordinary time. However, we are now in the month of August, and really we find ourselves in new rhythms, different rhythms of our life. School has started. Vacations have ended. And we kind of come to this new, new time period where things that we can anticipate, we can expect the rhythms of those life, of our lives happening back to normal. When we're in summertime, we often, we go here, we go there, we're a little bit more fluid with our schedules. Maybe the kids aren't in bed at, at a certain time. Maybe they're allowed to stay up a little bit later. And as we come to school, all of a sudden it's, oh, by the way, school starts tomorrow. You now have to be in bed at 9. Well, not my kids. They're a little older. But our rhythms get changed. And so really, I honestly think that the month of August really should be its an, an almost a new color in itself, just because we really make this huge shift in our rhythms of life. So we land ourselves in the lectionary in the book of Isaiah. So if you want to turn to the book of Isaiah, it's that big book in the Bible. If you kind of open up in the middle, you find Psalms, and it's not too far from there. Now, Isaiah... Isaiah had a huge task. While you're finding Isaiah, Isaiah had this task of pronouncing judgment to the Israel and warning them that if they don't change their ways, they're going to fall into the hands of the Babylonians. However, when we start in the book of Isaiah, we see that Assyria is the country or the, the nation that is really taking 
uh, hold. It's really becoming uh, the strong nation of the area. And so how is it that Isaiah is, is prophesying about Babylon when Assyria is the one that's going on right now? So in the people's minds, they're like, I, what? And the other thing that's interesting about Isaiah, Isaiah's talking to us uh, late 700 B.C. or so, and his prophecy doesn't come to fulfillment until about 500 B.C. So we have a 200-year gap from the time that Isaiah starts speaking to the time that it actually takes, uh, takes place. So there's a long gap here. So we find ourselves at the very beginning of Isaiah with Isaiah having this uh, task of pronouncing judgment. Israel, if you don't change your ways, you'll be laid to ruin. And so we open up the chapter in chapter 1 with, you're going to be laid to ruin, but there's a little bit of hope. God's salvation comes. And then he comes again in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and says, Israel, if you don't change your ways, destruction will come. But there's hope. And then right after chapter 4, this is where we find ourselves this morning in chapter 5. We find this beautiful text. You get to the right page here. We find this beautiful text that starts out, Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard, my beloved, and then he goes into this beautiful, beautiful song that we're going to read here in just a second. So we find ourselves thinking, ah, Finally, some hope that Isaiah is going to be preaching. And what we find is Isaiah starts really positive and then gets a little bit more negative, 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 and never comes out of it. That's where I find myself getting to preach today. Thanks, Jake. Most of the time we want to find ourselves. We want to give that despair, but then give a sense of hope at the end. Isaiah's text doesn't lend it to that space. So we're going to see where he takes us. We find ourselves at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. All the people have gathered into into the city for this beautiful feast. and, And then all of a sudden, the bard, Isaiah, starts singing this song. It kind of gathers the people's attention. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. Now, vineyard would be a, a common phrase that the Israelites would have known about the vineyard. I don't know, any of you ever grow grapes? Yeah, nobody? Well, it's hard. My father tried to grow grapes when he lived in Memphis. Ah, let's read on. My beloved had a vineyard. On a very fertile hill, he dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. Now, I'm reading out the English standard, and it says, but it yielded wild grapes. Other texts might say it it yielded um, 
sour grapes. Other ones said it might have yielded useless grapes. So depending on what version you have, they're all correct. would have caught the Israelites' attention. They would have gathered around to hear this beautiful song. In these first two verses, we hear the tender care of the beloved. The anticipation. Uh, Wine growing. If you ever grow grapes, it takes a minimum of two years for it to produce good grapes, minimum. Oftentimes it's three, four, or five years before good grapes can be used to make anything productive. So if you see all these vineyards that are popping up around the area, know that it has taken years for them to produce anything that could be actually used. Any gardeners in the the room? Anybody that's ever planted a garden? There's several of you. Uh, Now gardening, that'll take works. You have to clear the soil, you have to till it, you have to care for it, remove the rocks, you have to love on it, you have to maybe mulch it, you have to uh, get your hands dirty in it. The beloved had that loving, tender care of making sure that everything that could possibly be done was done to produce the very best. Can you hear the anticipation in the song? I've done all of this work, and and then while the grapes were growing, I created a a, a wine vat. I created a watchtower. I created a hedge around it so so that the enemies and the wild animals can't come in. And patiently waiting, and, and, and while these grapes are getting ready, made all the preparations. only to have your crop be useless. Oh, despair. Planted your garden and every fruit in your garden was not edible. Oh, aggravation, devastation even. Oh, what am I going to do? That's what I was planning on eating for the summer for, and stock it up for the winter months. And, but I can't use any of it. Have you ever spent so much time and developing something that you knew was going to be great only for it to turn out not as you anticipated? Reminded of one of my churches I pastored. A new building was created. A new building was built before I got there. The anticipation was good. Ah, we built this big building and people are going to come. You know, the old, if you build it, they will come philosophy. They didn't come. The work was there. The work was laid out. It was done in in, in faith. years later we had to close the church the devastation 
the hurt. I don't know, maybe more, something more, more simple. Maybe you spent all that time creating the perfect vacation Bible school. You spent all the hours. You spent all the time preparing and planning and nobody comes. You have to ask the question, what else? What could have I done differently? Was my work in vain? Maybe, maybe let's speak familiarly, family-oriented here. Maybe you prepared a great meal. You went into all the efforts. You made sure that the table was set perfectly. You made sure that the food was delicious. You tasted every step of the way, and it was there. That's my Italian. It was there. Lay it all out. Your spouse or your kids don't even say thank you. Don't even notice. You clean the house. You took that tender care to make sure that every step was taken care of. Your heart kind of breaks a little bit, but maybe they didn't notice. We got to be reminded here that in this garden, God's grace was poured out into making sure that this vineyard was the best. Every step, every detail was made. His love poured out into this vineyard so that it could produce. It only yielded useless grapes. And the song continues in verse 3. He's already drawn the crowd in. They're intrigued. O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Most of the people would have been, they were invited in to be this judge in this situation. Most of the time, the the people were not invited to be that part of the equation. They were always told whether to be the judge or how to react And here they're being invited to make that decision. What more was there to do? When I look to it to yield grapes, why did it yield useless grapes? Don't we ask that question? Why? What else could we have done? 
I know I asked that question as a pastor when before we had to close the church. What else could we have done? How else could we have loved on the community to, to change the, the present outcome? Now, we want to say this is a rhetorical question, but it's not. See, the owner here has high expectations for the vines and the great harvest was coming and We even kind of see a maybe even a positive future here. Anticipation. There's kind of a shift in language here. Isaiah is a masterful person of writing. Masterful. He switches between the I and my beloved and and you kind of have to, to guess, is it Isaiah speaking? Is it God speaking? But here in the garden is definitely God speaking. The question is, what more might God have done? Why did this happen? He's asking the people, choose. I want you to choose between the gardener and the vineyard. And he's really asking them, do you see your own sin in the midst of here? Because God is taking care of every detail. There is no way that it was God's fault. And this is very intriguing. So we continue on in our, in our poem, in our song. God now tells the people what will happen. I'm going to tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall be not be pruned or hoed, and, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more upon it. This is a classic bait and switch. We see this language also in, in Nathan and David. David tell, Nathan tells that parable to David of who is this man choose between the righteous and the unrighteous. I'm going to destroy all that I made. Not only is he going to remove it so things grow up, but he's going to command that rain come no more. Now, 
up until that part, the Israelites were like, okay, I can see the vineyard. Then all of a sudden, who is this that could command the rain not to come? All of a sudden, they've already been caught into, into the story. <laughs> There's no more escaping for them. They can't all of a sudden withdraw. Oh, well, well, wait, I can't. They can't withdraw. They're hooked. And Isaiah does masterful work. And the Hebrew, the, the language here is very, very poetic. And, and it's four words that is only separated by one letter of each word masterfully written. And I know you don't care about the Hebrew language, but it is beautiful. And I might get there. I don't know. And so this devastation there, the destruction that he's laid out. So you see how we've kind of, we started out this beautiful language, I'm going to build, and all of a sudden, now we're starting in the destroying language and tearing down language. And I'll tell you, Isaiah doesn't get positive from here. He just keeps taking it down. Our last verse that we're going to read today is verse 7. This is where Isaiah tells the Israelites, we're no longer in this parable let me tell you what this parable, what this story is. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting, and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Isaiah tells the Israelites, People, you are the ones that are in sin. You are the ones that lost the righteousness. So what is all this, how does all this imply for us? Translation-wise, we use the word righteousness. But God is angry at his people because of the lack of justice. They forgot what it was to love the other. They forgot what it was to care for the other. So that's really what this whole passage is about. It's God's justice and people choosing not to love the other. Now, Isaiah's task is long. And we keep reading in chapter 6, well, God, how long should I tell this story? How long shall I keep telling the people that they're going to be devoured? God's reply is again and again and again and again and again and again and again. You get the point. Do so until it changes. Keep telling them until it's changed. Because they won't listen. 
they won't hear. Folks, we see social justice issues around us all the time. Watch the news. Why are we having so many shootings? Why are there people homeless on the streets? Why do we have this, that? And it's not that we need to make the right or the left. Jake's talked about that oftentimes. And the beauty of the church is that we can come together and address the problem together. That's the beauty of the church. When we remember that God is love, that God creates a community of love, the basis throughout all of Scripture is that God's, one of his attributes is love. And when we forget to love the other, we are in direct opposition of what and who God is in community. God so lovingly, tenderly cared for the garden. He created and loved Judah and Israel, gave them everything that they needed, only for them to turn their backs. He gave us New Beginnings, Chipman Commons, everything that we need. Oh, and I pray that we don't turn our backs. I pray that we will see the other, anybody that comes onto this campus, if you will, and welcome them with open arms. No matter what their background is, no matter what political identity they come from, no matter what their sexual orientation is, but we welcome them. That we say, we see you because you are a creation of God. And not only when we talk about social justice, not only is it about seeing the person, but it's also about seeing the creation that God has made. We've got to do a better job of caring for our environments. We're taking small steps here. We're reusing uh, the, the porcelain cups. I mean, we still have other cups. But we could do better. We could recycle more. We can... Care for our environments. We need to see as God sees us. Let's, let's not only embrace the other, embrace the creation, and anticipate the good fruit that God has already laid out for us.
So what is justice? Justice basically defined bringing people into a right relationship with Yahweh and each other. Right relationships produce righteous lives. And so the owner of the vineyard expected righteousness. Yahweh has done everything possible and expects a harvest of justice. This judgment that Isaiah has laid upon the people did not come in fruition for nearly 200 years. It's difficult to imagine a God here, a Yahweh here, that refuses to relent if the people would only repent. And as I was looking over this passage, one thing that caught my eye, oftentimes we always want to hear that positive of God. Sometimes we have to wrestle in the the judgment of God, and that's kind of the cycle that we're in right here. But throughout God's judgments, He never ceases to be the beloved. My beloved is a very intimate term. It's more than just my friend, my lover. This language of this part of Isaiah resembles almost Song of Solomon in some ways. But in the midst of this harsh wrath, of this forthcoming that God is is saying to the people of Israel and even to us, he never stops being the intimate lover of the people. Oh, that is something to hold on to. Though it's a dark, dark tone of Scripture in a beautiful poem, He still loves us. He still longs to draw us in. He uses judgment of Israel, even the exile into Babylon, as a way of redeeming his people. That's the whole point of the exile is, people, I love you. I want to bring you back to me. 
So new beginnings. Though we can do things better, God still loves us, holds us close, and longs to redeem us, longs to make things new. He wants us to be that new creation for the city of Lee Summit, for this area of Lee Summit, for the greater city of Kansas City and, and beyond. He wants us that no matter where we go, not only when we sit here in these seats, but when we go to work and when we go to school and when we go out and when we go on vacation, we see the other as God's people, as God's creation. It's then, it's then that we see justice. It's then that we see righteousness fulfilled. It's then that we can see God's hand saying, you are my people. Even in the midst of the, the, the anguish, in the midst of the growing pains, in the midst of being pruned, like, just like a, a gardener would have to do to his vineyard, have to prune it to, to make it grow. I think that is our task. I think that is what God wants us to hear today, that no matter how hard it is to be pruned, God still sees us as his children. He is still our beloved. He still longs for that new place, that new creation here. God bless his word today.